You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. Well, we didn't quite finish Daniel chapter 8 last week, looking at this vision that God gives Daniel of Greece, really the Hellenizing period of Israel's history given specifically to the Jews to prepare them for the future. And we even see foreshadowings of the end times, things that are still future for us even today, and really a ultimate fulfillment in the Antichrist as he is represented by Antiochus Epiphanes. I know we've been in this chapter for a couple weeks now. We almost finished it last week, but I'm glad we have one more week to kind of give it a final conclusion. And so this part is going to be part two of what we started last week, which is called The Best is Yet to Come. And that might seem like a unfitting title for a message that talks about such judgment, but we'll see the encouragement that's in this prophecy in the last few verses. So just bear with us till the very end. And it really is a phenomenal, wonderful message that God gives his people through Daniel. So we're going to pick up today in Daniel 8, verse 21. And it says, And the rough goat is the king of Grisha, and the great horn is that is between his eyes is the first king, speaking of Alexander the Great. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And we've looked at how this directly points to Antiochus at this time. Uh, The Greek leader who had such a bad influence in Israel and is remembered for it to this day. But this week, I want us to look at it as a further out fulfillment, pointing to the Antichrist himself. So let's think of it in that term uh, here today as we look at it. It says, A king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sinners shall stand up, verse 24, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace, it says by peace there, shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And we'll get to the good news there at the very end uh, in just a minute here. But first, let's just look at this description of the Antichrist. So we're not going to go too in-depth here because we've already given kind of an overview of the tribulation period and the Antichrist, his rise during that time and his role during those seven years of God pouring out his wrath on mankind. So we've already looked at that a little bit, but this gives us a specific description of who the Antichrist is. And there's a couple main things here. It says he will be controlled by the devil. It says in verse 24, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. So the Antichrist is going to 
be a very persuasive, compelling, powerful world leader who rises on the scene. He's going to be catapulted to iconic status, and he's going to have this uh, persuasiveness. As a politician, he's going to gain control of the world. It says his, his policies are actually going to accrue power to himself. So he's going to rise, and he's going to uh, become very, very powerful. Um, and obviously, his character is not capable of handling that power because he allows himself to be sold to the devil. He's just being a tool of evil. So he's going to be powerful, but he doesn't get that power by his own might. He's given it by someone else. And so really there's someone in the background pulling all the strings making this happen. And so he's just being used by the devil for wickedness. So he's going to be controlled by the devil. That's where he gets his strength and his power. He He's going to eliminate, it says, the mighty and the holy people. So he is going to kill and he's going to be successful at this. He's going to minus the, the Jews. That's the one exception. He does not... Um, annihilate the Jews, but he will put to death every other believer, every other godly person from the earth, and the mighty, anyone who resists him, anyone who stands up against him, who disobeys and rebels, he will destroy the mighty and the holy people. So he's going to eliminate them. Then we see he will practice magic and witchcraft It says, through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart. He's going to be extremely uh, self-centered, narcissistic. He's going to be um, full of himself, a very arrogant and proud leader devoted to wickedness. And then finally, we see he will advocate for peace to unite the world. And that's actually how he comes onto the scene. That's actually how he rises in power by running on this campaign, running on this platform of peace. It says, um, he will magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. And that refers, um, to the peace treaty that he, he brings, he unifies the globe really, And the Antichrist is going to form a one world religion and anyone who does not comply with that is going to be put to death. And he's going to persecute the the Jews. Um, and, And part of the way he does that is by getting them to sign a peace treaty and then allying himself with the armies of the world to come against Jerusalem to destroy Israel. So he's going to be a very destructive person. He's actually, he's going to, pledge peace, but then he's going to, behind the scenes, he's going to spread war. And there are going to be massive, massive casualties of his war, of his campaign, because he is going to rule with might. And he's going to be a very harsh world ruler. So you say, how can this be a message of good news uh, to anyone, to God's people, Um, in the midst of this description of the horrible uh, tragedy that's going to unfold in the tribulation and in the future. This is what God's people have to look forward to. This is Israel's future. How could this be a message of 
the best is yet to come or better days will come. How can you say better days will come with this message? And I'll tell you, it says at the very end of verse 25, but he shall be broken without hand. So at the end of the tribulation, when Christ comes back to establish his kingdom, he will destroy the Antichrist. And this is what we have to remember. All the, all the nations of the earth are going to be judged by Jesus Christ. So no one's getting away with anything. It's not going to be the international court that decides who gets punished for what atrocity. God is going to come back and he's going to be the final judge. And he's going to provide ultimate peace. And that's not going to happen until the very end of the tribulation. But the whole nature of this chapter is prophecy. And there's two more very important verses in this chapter, verses 26 and 27. And it says, And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore, shut up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. So here we just see a conclusion, and it's really just the nature of prophecy. And I want us to remember this, that prophecy can be such a comfort because it is true. So you say, why is prophecy a comfort for me in my life? And the answer is because it is true. See, it doesn't even have to be clear to us. We don't have to understand it completely. It says that Daniel walked away. He went back to the king's business and he was astonished and no one understood the vision. He was just confused about it. But he had hope because he knew it was true. See, we don't have to understand it. And that's actually another aspect of prophecy is that over time it becomes more and more clear. It's called uh, progressive illumination in uh, theology. Bible teachers refer to that, um, the teaching of progressive illumination, which means over time the Bible becomes more and more clear. Because we, we have history, we can look back in 2020, um, like the saying says, hindsight is 2020. We can see clearly what prophecy meant, but we don't have to be at the end of the tribulation to believe prophecy. We can believe it now, and it is more clear now and today than it ever has been, but we can believe it no matter how much sense it makes to us. So even though prophecy, as time goes on, it becomes more and more clear to those who are studying it, it has always been true. And even though there's things in your life that you might not fully understand and you might not, you know, get a certain prophecy, it might not be clear to you, it might still be a little bit confusing, keep studying it. But in the meantime, it's true. You can believe it. And that's what we're called to do. And that, that's why prophecy is so comforting because we know that God's going to keep his promises. We can rest assured that it is true. And there's one final point I wanted to make as we close chapter 8. And it's a subtle difference, but when we look to the future, we do not have hope because God gives us hope. We have hope because God is our hope. 
And I've been thinking about this. Uh, not too long ago, I was reading in Haggai, or sorry, not Haggai, Zephaniah, right before Haggai. But Zephaniah chapter 3 talks about, um, I, I love chapter 3. I wish we could just read the whole thing here. But it, it, it's an amazing prophecy talking about God destroying all the wicked nations and just making them desolation, making their streets a waste and uh, the city's just being destroyed with no inhabitants. And, and God describes those that wait on the Lord and how he's going to uh, rise up and defend them against those who seek their destruction. He's going to come up and pour out his indignation and fierce anger and all the earth will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. But what I want to read here is I'll just read here at the end. He's giving this message of end times, and boy, is it fiery. And so at the at the very end, I'll start in verse 12. And this is the Lord speaking through Zephaniah. He says, I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in thy mouth. For they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with the heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy, the King of Israel. Even the Lord is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. It's a focus on God himself. He says, And that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not. And to, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. So let that be our focus this week. God doesn't give us hope. God himself is our hope. We'll continue there next week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect, and it's everything you need to live for Him.